Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you again, Rachel. So appreciate all of you tuning in again. And hopefully uh, you're following in from last week when we had part one of our discussion uh, with Lisa Brockman, who is the author of a, a really fascinating uh, book about her life and leaving the Mormon church and becoming a follower of Jesus. It's called Out of Zion, Meeting Jesus in the Shadow of the Mormon Temple. Now, normally to begin a podcast, I go right in and give you a little bit of a sort of a, a commercial. We like to act like we have sponsors here and it's all in all things, but we really don't. These are just highlighting some of our strategic or gospel priorities in the EPC. But this conversation with Lisa is so rich and so good and so important. And as we stress this idea of evangelism, any of you have heard me speak recently, it's about putting the E back in the EPC. We've got good news to share, my friends. We have a story to tell, and it's his story that interacts in our lives that transforms us And that's the story of Lisa. Lisa shared with us last week how she grew up uh, in the Mormon church and really felt this weight and tension of kind of this religion of law that was imprisoning her. And then she went to this entire other side of herself where she thought she would find freedom in kind of a more licentious life and found that that too was a form of prison. But she got to this seminal moment just going into her sophomore year in college, where exploring the historicity of the Mormon church and the claims of the scripture, needing to know if it was true, she had that moment where on her knees, she cried out to the triune God who met her in that place. That is where part two of our conversation with Lisa Brockman picks up today. I read a book one day called Beyond Mormonism, and as I journey with that author, Jim Spencer, he was a convert to Mormonism. He was a bishop in the church. He was a professor at one of the Brigham Young University campuses in Idaho and came to Christ. And so anyway, I just knew I needed a savior, and I read his book, and I'm like, God, I don't, I can't wrap my mind around you as this trinity, but I just need you to reveal yourself to me. And then it was like, He took me through a portal into another reality, and I had not read the book of Revelation, but I entered into Revelation 4, where Jesus was on a throne, and all people were just bowed down before him, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I just fell face down Mm. on the floor and wept and invited Jesus to come in. Jesus ushered me into his kingdom. Wow. Wow. Let's dig down a little bit on what happens from that point forward. Okay, you're in your home, you're down on your knees, Revelation 4 has come to Lisa. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Are you getting involved in a campus fellowship? Is this where you connect with crew? Do you tell your parents? Does your life begin to change? What what does Mm -hmm. that look like from that point forward? I did not experience immediately life change externally. I did not tell my parents. There was no way I was going to do that anytime soon. I started going to church with Gary. And that 
for a Mormon to go to a Christian church, it's like being in somebody else's skin. It's so uncomfortable. It is so unnatural. Everything about it feels upside down culturally. So that's where we began. And then our, Gary and I still dated, and he wasn't yet ready to surrender his life completely and walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And over the next 14 months, God just began to wean me off of my addictions and idols. Well, he wasn't weaning me off. He was exposing them for how empty they made me and how much they were abusing me. And so what marked that 14 months was, though I, would, I was trying to resist the parties sometimes, I would always blow it. But Jesus was always with me at the party. The biblical Jesus was with me everywhere. And the biblical Jesus was with me the morning after. And the Mormon Jesus could never be with me in any of those contexts because I would have been unworthy. And so that was the most significant shift of that 14 months. And then a growing conviction. There's got to be another kind of life. Like, this isn't eternal life. And I didn't have the words for it. And then at the end of my sophomore year of college, so it was right before my sophomore year, I trusted Christ. At the end of my sophomore year, Gary took me to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting and I was like, this is wild. <laughs> People are standing on chairs singing praise songs, but I was drawn. And the staff heard about me, the staff team of like five people, and they were like ticks on a dog, <laughs> like a Mormon came to Christ. <laughs> they just never would see Mormons come to Christ back then. Huh. And so they chased me Even around Even at the campus. University of Utah, you think that would be more commonplace? Uh, no. Now it's a bit, a little bit more, it's... I mean, you can, my family's been 30 years since I trusted Christ and still praying. So all that. So I was going to, can I just press pause for a second and say, what's your relationship like with your family from that time forward? Well, after I finally told them I am a Christian, it was two quite near hellish years Mm. with them. Okay. Very distressing. But I also, like I would read the book of Galatians for breakfast every morning. I could not leave, the, leave my house. I was no longer living with my parents. I had moved out. But I could not make it through a day without that truth of Galatians in me. So two years were very tense. They threatened to disown me if I didn't return to the church. Very disrupted emotionally for all of us. I mean, it was their deepest terror come true. So my deepest joy was their deepest terror. After two years, Dennis, my husband, I married my campus director with crew. He was Gary's out of the picture now. I broke up with Gary, wanted to walk with the Lord. Then I didn't. But eventually I did. Yeah, so Gary and I broke up. So I married my campus director, and Dennis was recruited to Orlando to our headquarters. So that was just a huge relief. We right. moved to Orlando, and then... Over those next years, I might have had maybe four encounters with my mom over 25 years where I got to share the gospel with her. And it's like God just opened the veil for 30 minutes to an hour, and she would wrestle. And then seeds were planted. I don't know what happened to them. All that to say, we've just worked really hard, all of us, to reconcile and to love each other. And my parents, I think, have sacrificed greatly to be in our lives and learn how to love us as biblical Christians. And we have sacrificed greatly to love them and embody Jesus to them. 
And then God chased me down oh, to, and invited me to write my story. And I was like, no. Oh. So I was sharing my story and Robert Wolgamuth, who's a literary agent, approached me afterwards. And he, I didn't know what he did. And he said, have you ever thought about writing your story? And I felt like he punched me in the gut. And I was like, no, right. not until my parents pass, at least. Mm -hmm. And then one thing led to another, and Jesus was inviting me to write my story. And I just thought, I'm never going to get a publisher. And then I got a publisher, and one thing led to another. And that really was, that surfaced so much PTSD for myself and my mom. Mm -hmm. But what's been so surprising is that God has brought such redemption in our relationships as I've been willing to write my story, have it published. It certainly has stirred the pot, but my family, all those years, this is what I would say about evangelism, all the years of embodying Jesus to somebody and living with them in grace and truth and giving them time to assimilate you and loving them created a foundation that could withstand the trauma of me having my story published. That's super powerful. The power of an incarnational life. Yes. The power of uh, investing deeply in those relationships that can sustain. Yep. That's really powerful. So um, you joined crew. I did. And uh, we were doing digital strategies. Now we're collaborating with artists and doing some cool stuff in that area. And what's your passion going forward, Lisa, in terms of how God has built into you the story of his transformation? How, how does that, um, where do you see that going in the next number of years? Well, my deepest burden is for people to encounter the Trinity. Mm. Like, just brings me to tears. Because there's like, that's transforming alone. And then the Christian life, the life of becoming like our Rabbi Jesus is such an invitational life. It's no longer a have to, it's a want to. Like, I want to be in the dust of his sandals. I want to know my Rabbi. I want to become like him. And in Mormonism, that's not an option. There's not joy in that. It's I have to. And I have to figure this out, and it's hopeless. And as a Christian, so much of my life was spent in the have to. I have to have a quiet time or the guilt that I haven't. And it's like this all-encompassing invitation to walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Like, that's my deepest passion. And my deepest ache is for Mormons. To find the liberation that you have found in Christ. Yeah. And for people who follow Christ to enter into his rest. Yeah. Well, there's some real incredible parallels here, Lisa, because what you've described in terms of your growing up uh, in the Mormon church is not terribly dissimilar from the way a lot of people have grown up in the Christian church mm -hmm. in, a, in a church of law yes. and a church where they themselves are trying to, and people who grew up outside of the church, also find themselves filled with like, how do I prove myself worthy to my parents or to this person or to the people that, you know, I want to approve of me. And uh, we just have this tremendous imprisonment to a kind of works, achieve the best righteousness uh, thing. So that's true inside the church, outside yeah. the church. So your story translates across. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think of that comment of Jesus when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my way is light. Yes. 
And it's not that the way of Jesus is easy. It's terrifically hard. Mm-hmm. But there's this sense that it's no longer the weight of the law. The word yoke there has to do with the body of a rabbi's teaching. Yeah. And so it's not just that following Jesus is easy and fun. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff about it. But it's just that he has taken the yoke, the heavy teaching of the law upon himself and fulfilled that. Yeah. So what we receive is the doctrine gift of grace and a life lived out of grace versus a life lived out of the law that's really your story yes yes and i love the fact that you bring it back to the trinity and so maybe another future conversation one day will be Mm. about spiritual formation and direction in the trinity could we have that conversation oh Oh, that would be really fun that's another Almost Holy Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll have to be conversation number three. And this has just been such a delightful conversation that as you know by now, um, listeners, we've let this go over now two podcasts. Normally our podcasts are about 30 minutes and this one's gone so been so fascinating that we've extended it into this being our second podcast and so uh, we'll have you back for a third podcast to discuss that joy that would be awesome that would be awesome okay well thank you very much lisa and just a reminder folks if you would like lisa's book which is readily available is called out of zion meeting jesus in the shadow of the mormon temple and lisa how could people get that book or how could they get access to you on social or other places my website is lisabrockman.me.me, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. My book's every Like, you can get it on Amazon. They, there's an Audible version. I'll meet people occasionally, and they'll say, oh, you put me to sleep every night. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is so amazing. I get to put you to sleep every night, and I don't even know you. And it's a compliment. So I read the, Amazon, the Audible version if you prefer Audible books. But, okay, yeah. terrific. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a delight. It's Thank been you. a pleasure. Thank you. All right, my friends. As we always do, closing up our conversation with the good word from God's word from Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, that is our Lord and Savior Jesus, my friends, in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. And it's the name of that precious Savior, Jesus. I bring you grace and peace. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.